This morning, I get to continue um, a, a series that we are calling Rebuildable. And in this series, we're exploring some truths from the Old Testament book of Nehemiah. And in this series, I'm exploring the caution of not falling over the edge into this pit in front of me. So pray for me. I'm afraid of heights uh, a little bit. But here's the heart of this series, Rebuildable, that we've been in. We believe the truth that... There is nothing in us or in the world around us so broken that God cannot rebuild or restore it. In fact, we believe that God loves to rebuild the most irreparable things. But what we often forget is that one of the ways God loves to rebuild what's, re- what's broken in the world around us is through us. And we've seen that surface as we've studied the life of a man named Nehemiah in the Old Testament. Now, here's the thing. God might invite us to partner with him in rebuilding what's broken in the world around us in a variety of ways. But in the book of Nehemiah, I think we've seen a pattern. We've seen a template of the way God often invites us to partner with him. And if you say yes to getting on the journey of partnering with God and rebuilding, you're going to find yourself in this process in some form or another. And what we've seen, and you recognize this if you've been with us through the series, what we've seen is one of the first things God would do is he'll stir in us a passion. He'll stir in us a passion. Um, he'll, He'll give us, in essence, a broken Heart. God will supernaturally break our hearts for something broken in the world around us. And it might be something that you've seen hundreds of times before. It might be something you've heard thousands of times before. It might be something you've even thought, I should really do something about this. But then God enters in, gives us a fresh glimpse of it, and supernaturally breaks our hearts for the thing in our world that's broken. He gives us a passion for it. And now the thought of this broken thing remaining broken any longer becomes unacceptable to us. And for some of us, uh, the Lord has been stirring a passion in us, giving us uh, a fresh vision, maybe for a broken marriage. We've been in the broken marriage for a while, but he's given us a supernatural passion to see this marriage rebuilt, restored. Maybe it's a fractured family relationship. That's been that way for a very long time, but the Lord is inviting us to play a part in rebuilding it. Maybe it's a racial chasm that for a very long time we've said, ah, it's not a real thing, but all of a sudden the thought of things continuing as they are has become unbearable to us. Maybe it's a fresh vision for your kids You have veered away and focused on other priorities, but God is calling you back to pour in to the generation that will go after you. Maybe it's something as big as the, you know, the clean water crisis in our world, but maybe it's something as near as kids who are being bullied at school. Whatever it might be, God is supernaturally breaking your heart for that broken thing, giving you a passion for it. For Nehemiah... It was a passion uh, to rebuild the broken walls around his heart city of Jerusalem. Now, that wasn't because Nehemiah loved construction or had a thing for bricks. It was because a broken wall around the city signified a broken defense system. 
Nehemiah could not endure the thought that the people he loved were living defenseless. Enemy nations could come in and carry them off into slavery at any point in time, which means his people were living with a constant sense of fear, a constant sense of panic to add to the shame they felt because of the broken walls. And for Nehemiah, that was unbearable, and he had to be a part of seeing that restored. And so through his broken heart, God gave him a passion to see that change. And for different ones of us, it may be a variety of things. But the point is, God in his grace, in this template of invitation, will grip our hearts with a passion to see something broken become better. And I wonder what passion and what vision God has been stirring in you. And if you're sitting here and you're saying, I don't feel broken over anything broken in the world around. I would invite you to ask him to break your heart for something that breaks his. But then the the passion stage moves into the prayer stage. As Pastor Matt shared with us um, a number of weeks ago, Nehemiah's broken heart leads to um, a bended knee. When our hearts break, God is often inviting us to pray our passion. He's oftentimes not inviting us to sound off like fools on Facebook. He's inviting us to fall on our faces in the presence of the one who gave us the passion in the first place and ask him, what do you want me to do with this? And for some of us, that's where we are. God has burdened our hearts for our aging parents, perhaps. Or maybe it's the challenges of, of single parenthood in the lives of the folks around us. But we don't know what to do. And this template, this process would invite us to pray that passion out to God. And you bet. God does for Nehemiah what he promises to always do. He answers Nehemiah's prayer. And the way God answers Nehemiah's prayer is by calling a play for Nehemiah. God calls uh, a play for him. He gives him a basic step to take. Gives him a very clear next step to take towards seeing the irreparable walls rebuilt. And the step, the play God calls for Nehemiah is, I want you to go and tell the, the, the Persian king who hates Jerusalem and considers it a rebel post. Yeah, I want you to go and tell him about your passion and see if he won't resource the work of rebuilding the wall. I didn't say God gave him an easy step, but he gave him a clear next step for Nehemiah to follow. By the way, I'm calling this a play, not a plan. Uh, Because you know, as well as I do, that God is notorious for withholding the whole picture and just giving us the next play. God is notorious for not showing us the entire thing before calling us to take the next step. And when God reveals the play he's calling us to take, he expects us to be willing to drop everything and at great cost go all in to take that step, to run that play. I wonder 
if that's not where some of us are. Maybe we've prayed about the passion God has given us, and then God has given us a clear next play. But we've refused to run that play because we don't yet see the whole picture. Mm-mm. I'm not taking that turn until I so- see the whole GPS trip. So I'm not, I'm not moving. And all of a sudden we have a stalemate. There's been no movement in our worlds. Because we've not been willing to act on the risky, maybe messy, maybe crazy sounding next play God has called us to. And the thing is, you don't get to see the picture unless you run the play, unless you play your piece. What's the next step in seeing the rebuilding of that broken thing in your world? That God is calling you to run the play. It may not make a whole lot of sense. All I keep hearing is call your mom. Okay, that step doesn't make sense. I've called my mom before. And do you know what happens when I call my mom? Then she involves my dad. And then my dad calls me. And then it's this whole family drama. And it's about Thanksgiving. So I'm not even going to try it. And God is saying, run the play. Maybe the play is as simple as forgive him. Forgive him. <laughs> no, no, no. Do you even understand? what You know, you know how he responds when I forgive. That, that's crazy. So I'm not, you're going to have to give me the bigger picture so I can see what happens after that. Otherwise, and he says, run the play. Quit your job. What? But if I quit my job, how am I going to put money in the offering and help the church out? It's all about you, Lord. And he's saying, no, run the play. Run the play. Whatever the next play might be. Nehemiah runs the play. Um, and he starts to take the steps God calls him to. And you'd think the next stage in the process would be from, you know, running the play to rewards and results. But nope, more often than not, the next step in the process, after you say yes to taking that basic step and running that play, is that you often experience pushback. You often experience a little pressure. You experience some problems. And you're like, wait a minute. Wasn't, um, wasn't she supposed to thank me for calling her? I'm sorry. Wasn't he supposed to be grateful that I forgave? I expected if I ran the play, things would get easier. But the reality is oftentimes it invites push back. Because when you take an actual step towards rebuilding the broken thing God has broken your heart over. Hell will protest, and you will experience pushback. Brace for the battle wounds, by the way, because the enemy loves breaking and broken things. And the minute you start to tamper with rebuilding, he's going to start to tamper with you. And so the moment Nehemiah and his team start the work, they start running the plays, they have a bunch of haters show up trying to bully and discourage them to get them to stop the work that God has called them to. And for some of us, I wonder if that's not where we are in the process. You've started working, and nothing seems to be working. In fact, everything seems to be working against you. Life was simpler before you said yes to running the play. I mean, remember that? Before you forgave, while you still kept those people at a distance, life was actually less dramatic than it is right now. But we see that through this story and through the scriptures. Just because things are getting tougher 
doesn't mean God is standing further. Just because things are taking longer and friends are getting fewer doesn't mean rebuilding isn't happening. So for Nehemiah, the more the pushback, the greater the priority he gives the work God has called him to. He responds to pushback by giving a higher priority. And that's a kingdom principle, by the way. In the kingdom of God, pushback against the the passion God has given you is not a cue for you to pair back. It's actually a cue for you to press forward, to prioritize the thing that he has called you to do. And that's what Nehemiah does. Remember when they try and and call an ambush meeting to try and get him off the wall to, to stop the work? Remember what he does. Priority. Look at uh, Nehemiah 6, verse 3. We'll put these up on the screens. Um, And I'm so used to screens, but there's actually just one screen up here. But look at what it says. Nehemiah says, I'm carrying on a great project, and I can't go down. Why should I stop while I leave it and go down to you? I refuse to stop running the play. I refuse to abandon the passion God has given me. I refuse to, to, to stop rebuilding the broken thing uh, that God has called me to, to deal with this distraction, even if it might be the most painful of distractions. He prioritizes, even in the midst of pushback and pressure. And for some of us, I wonder if we might not be there. Maybe something has happened. Maybe you've experienced some pushback um, that has made you stop running the place God has called you to. Maybe you've been distracted by lesser things. God has called you to prioritize your marriage, and there's all kinds of extended family drama, and you've, nope. Nehemiah did not let anything deter or distract him from the priority. He actually reprioritized the work that God had called him to. So I don't know where you are in the process of partnering with God in rebuilding what's broken in your world. It's been great to hear different ones of you uh, share different stories. Some of you who are experiencing a fresh passion, your heart is breaking for something that it's not broken so deeply for before. It's just amazing to hear. Some of you are feeling anxiety of taking that next step because it's risky, it's costly, and people are looking at you crossways because you're considering taking this crazy step. It's been amazing uh, to hear some of you um, who are dealing with pushback as you experience resistance. Things aren't moving the way um, you thought, or you're feeling distracted from uh, the priorities. It's been amazing to hear different ones of us in different stages of the process of partnering with God in rebuilding what's broken in the world around us. But regardless of where we are, uh, the calling, if nothing else, in the book of Nehemiah is to continue moving, to continue running, to continue running the place that God has called us to, to play our part in seeing broken things rebuilt. Now, for what's left of the time we have together, I want to hijack some of these Nehemiah um, principles to talk about something I believe is a deep passion on the heart of God. And can I just tell you how much I wrestled and deliberated about addressing some of this 
this morning. Um, Because my heart, truth be told, has been so heavy and heartbroken over the fallout from this week's election results. Not the election results themselves. I still believe God decides who sits on whatever throne, and then God decides who he takes down. What's been heartbreaking has been the church's response to the election results. The truth is I have been ashamed by the way some of us have misrepresented Jesus Christ. And everything in me was so tempted to come and talk um, about this a little bit. But the more I thought about it, the more the distinct sense from the Lord rose up in my spirit saying, nope. Priority. Priority. Condo, it's Orphan Sunday. Talk about that. Talk about that. There is a greater passion on my heart for a greater work. Don't you dare come off the wall to deal with that distraction. So we're going to talk about orphans. Because I'm convinced that is more pressing on the Lord's heart than anything else that's happening in some of our social media feeds. Um, Feel free to turn to James chapter 1, or we'll have these verses up on the screen. We're going to be moving from verse to verse, so if you have speedy fingers, um, feel free to track along. Otherwise, we'll have these up here, and you can feel free to note them um, to look at later if you would like. But James chapter 1, verse 27. Here's what it says. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this. Look after orphans and widows in their distress and keep yourself from being polluted by the drama of the world. Um, I've taught in a Christian high school um, Bible class, and I've taught um, in a graduate, you know, program um, and theology classes. Now, it's very interesting. With as many differences as there are between high school students and graduate students, there is one crazy and very annoying truth that binds them together in solidarity. And it is the frustrating question, Uh, is this going to be on the final drives me crazy crazy because really what these people are saying is hey we just listen we just want to know um can we just tune you out entirely and uh then you can let us know when you're saying something worth noting and that drove me crazy so i never answered the question my response was like when you see me pulling into the parking lot everything i do from the moment i come out of my car to the moment i drive away could be on the final you lazy bums hate that question. But thankfully, um, Jesus, um, he's a much more gracious teacher than I am. Because in his book, he goes out of his way to tell us exactly what's going to be on the final. 
He tells us what matters most to him today and what will matter most to him on that day. And listen to me. He is not going to ask you how articulate you were on social media. He's not going to ask you how the election shook out. He's not going to ask you who you voted for. But he is going to ask you, what did you do for the orphan? What did you do for the defenseless kids around this world? That will be on the final. Because that is a priority on the heart of our God. Matthew chapter 25 gives us this advanced release of the exam script. It tells us exactly what Jesus is going to ask us. And in this epic scene, when all history is culminating, it says Jesus, the king of all kings, will gather the nations before him. And he's going to separate them and determine their eternal destinies based on how they respond to his final. And the question he's going to be interested in is what did you do to care for the hurting and the hungry and the homeless and the helpless and the hopeless? What did you do? And he's not going to determine eternal destinies because we're saved by what we do. He's going to determine eternal destinies because the evidence that you're truly following Jesus is you're going to be about what he's about. What did you do for the hurting and the broken in the world? And I would dare to say particularly the kids. Look at verse 40 of Matthew 25. It says, the king. Jesus will reply, truly I tell you, you know in advance what I'm going to say. I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. What you did for the underprivileged and defenseless in your world, you did for me. That's what James chapter 1 verse 27 is talking about. That there's a kind of religion from which God would deduct no points on the final. And it's a version of religion that makes life a little better for the widow and makes life a little better for the orphan. And by the way, the reason James 1.27 talks about orphans and widows is because in the world of hurt and in the world of helplessness, the orphan and the widow are the most helpless. They're the most defenseless. They're least able to fend for themselves. James 1.27 is not saying just orphans or just widows. It's giving us those two as reference points because they are the most vulnerable. They're the most unable to care for themselves. So again, I was tempted to talk about the election, but it's Orphan Sunday. The results of America's election will carry significantly in this nation for years. But the results of heaven's final church will carry for eternity. So maybe we can talk about this week, you know, at some point in the future. But this morning, let's prep for the final. Okay. Uh, When the Bible talks about the orphan, here's what it means in general. Let me give you um, a general definition. It's speaking about a child who's unwanted, unclaimed, or uncared for. A child who's unwanted, unclaimed, or uncared. 
cared for, a kid with no fixed place to call home and no fixed source of provision. Now, we know technically an orphan is a child whose parents have died. But the reality is there are social and functional orphans all over the world, and God cares deeply for them because their parents might be alive. But for a variety of reasons, whether it's because the parents are unable, whether the parents are unwilling, or whether the parents are unfit, these kids are left unwanted, unclaimed, and uncared for emotionally, physically, and in whatever other ways you can imagine. And it's, it's, it's daunting to think that in our world, there are more than 150 million orphans. 150 million, which means you could populate the state of Indiana more than 23 times just with the orphans in our world. And Jesus is saying, when I come back, I will ask you what you did about that. When I come back, I will ask you how you protected and parented and provided for these vulnerable, defenseless kids. And I know that when we think about the orphan crisis, we tend to think of it as an issue, uh, you know, over there. And what I mean by that is we envision orphans, you know, somewhere um, in some distant land internationally. And that may be true for the most part. But within the borders of the United States, there are over 400,000 orphans. Um, oftentimes in the U.S. they're referred to as displaced children, which is just another way of saying unwanted, unclaimed, and uncared for. And most of the time they're found in American orphanages, which are known as the foster care system. And at present there are about 100,000 waiting edge of their seats to be adopted, to be taken in to homes. And here's what I want us to get this morning. There are some things that are broken that God calls some of us to be part of restoring. But there are few things that are broken that God commands all of us to play a part in restoring. And the orphan crisis, global and local, is one of those things God commands all of us. Anybody who calls themselves a follower of Jesus Christ, he calls them to play some part in partnering with him to see this cared for. There's some walls which he lets people build, different for you, different for me. But there's a wall like this one that he calls us all to come together and be a part of rebuilding. Psalm 82, verse 3, the first part says, defend the weak and the fatherless. Isaiah 1, verse 17, the second part says, take up the cause of the fatherless. It's not giving an option. 
And then James 1.27, which we just looked at, the first part says, religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, look after orphans. Any thought that we are going to disregard what God invites us to partner with him in on the final and be okay is a misunderstanding of how passionate God is about these kids. The plight of the orphan breaks the heart of God, and he wants it to break the heart of his people. Not just people who like kids, not just people who want to adopt, not just people who aren't too busy, not just people who have lots of finances, but all of us. And so the question is, okay, well, what do we do? Because if you're anything like me, then you're stuck on um, 150 million sounds like a lot of kids. Because it is a lot of kids. And I do, I wonder if the Jews in Nehemiah's day um, weren't intimidated and didn't feel overwhelmed at the prospect of rebuilding this two and a half mile long wall that was, you know, 40 feet tall and it was eight feet feet thick. I do. I wonder if they didn't think like, um, that's a lot of wall to build. But as we'll see um, next week, the job of the Jews in Nehemiah's day was not to rebuild the wall. The, The job of the Jews in Nehemiah's day was to rebuild their piece of the wall. That's so key to get. God is not going to ask you if you fixed the orphan crisis. He's going to ask you if you fought for the orphan. God is not going to ask you if you did everything. He's going to ask you if you did everything you could do for the orphan. So 150 million is intimidating if we're thinking it's our responsibility to take care of the whole thing, but it's not. It's our responsibility to take care of our play, our peace in this rebuilding project. It's not the same for everyone, but it is something for everyone. Um, and as many of you know, pieces of the story um, of the way the Lord called my wife and I to be part of this um, crisis. And um, so much like the template laid out in Nehemiah, it started with a passion. Um, again, some of you know it is, it's a crazy, crazy thing the Lord did in us. Um, the way he, he stirred the passion in us was through a dream. Uh, one of uh, my coworkers had a dream that they felt compelled to share with us. And, and the dream was, you know, it went something like this. Kondo, in the dream, I saw you with a little chocolate-flavored girl, a little girl, and um, it, it was very clear to me that you loved her and that she felt safe and cared for with you. Um, even described this little girl. Her name was Sydney or something like it. And she was wearing the cutest floral patterned dress. You know, her hair was did, you know, and she had the cutest bow thing going on um, in there. And um, I know that when we heard that, it stirred in us a passion, a vision to adopt a little chocolate flavored girl named Sydney 
or something of the sort. Because if there's a little girl out there named Sydney who's unclaimed and uncared for, we've got to go find her. Um, but where do you begin? How do you find again a little chocolate straw in a global haystack? We weren't sure, and so we prayed. Passion became prayer, and we prayed our passion and said, God, what do we do about this? And God being God, he, he did what he promises to do. He answered us by giving us a play. Uh, this co-worker texted us maybe a month later and said, meet Sydney with a picture of a girl. We're going crazy. And where is this? Is this a girl you saw in the dream? She's like, I, I don't know. I'm not sure. You know, but, you know, I think maybe the girl I saw was much younger than this one. But we knew our play was to contact the owner of the orphanage and sound like absolutely crazy people. I had a dream, you know. Um, and, uh, but we did, and we started the oddest of all conversations. And wouldn't you know it, the moment we ran the play, confetti fell from the sky. Just kidding. Pushback. We ran the play, and we immediately started to experience, for the next number of months, pushback, as we were reminded over and over again. Um, There is no legal or philosophical way you will ever adopt this girl. It's impossible. Plus, are you even young enough to chase a girl around at her age um, anymore? And do you have enough money? Can you afford it? Et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But, man, the Lord's passion in us punched pushback in the face, and we made it a priority. So we started selling stuff uh, to make room to be able to... um, um, afford to, to do this. We went crazy filling out applications. In fact, the number of times we heard them say, we've never seen people fill out applications this fast. That's because my wife was on a mission. And this, by the way, is my accountant wife who is calculated and cautious in every way. And here she is going crazy, selling stuff and filling out applications for a piece without the picture. I'm like, God must be in this thing right here, but we refuse to be distracted or dissuaded by bad reports of furrowed brows. We refuse to come off the wall. We made it a priority, and we kept pushing through. And we're going to see this in the book of Nehemiah, because we didn't talk about this in the template before, but God met um, our priority with his provision. Um, he not only provided what we needed materially, as many of you know, he went so far as to have somebody buy us a house. That's just, that's a lot. Um, we're still, you know, dealing with that, but um, he provided continued confirmations. One of the things he did was um, the Haitians called us and said, all right, all right, here's the deal. Let's assume it becomes legally and philosophically possible for you to adopt this girl that you've identified. Um, would you be willing to adopt her little sister as well? And we're like, 150 million orphans minus two? Yes, please! Yes, please, absolutely, we'll do that. And then things started to move along. Um, we showed a picture of the younger sister to our coworker, and when she saw the picture, she gasped and said, oh, that's the girl I saw in the dream. So God may have given you, you know, the name of the older sister, but he gave me a picture of the younger sister, which was an absolute confirmation to us. And the more we ran the plays, the Lord seemed to multiply our time. The Lord seemed to multiply our resources. Um, because what he's passionate about, he will always provide for church. Trust him with that. And speaking of provision, God went so far as to provide a third sister as we were in the process. Come to find out there was a third um, one 
along. Um, and it's interesting, before we started this process, none of the three sisters knew the other existed. And now, let me just check out this picture for yourself. Right? Right? And honey, I don't know what to tell you, but last night as I was looking at this picture, you know what occurred to me? I'm like, notice what they're wearing. Floral dresses, hairs did, and bows. Just like God. Just like God. Yeah, yeah, oh yeah, feel free to give him props. We, he deserves them. Oh man, we can take that picture down before anybody up here um, loses their stuff. But here's the thing I, I want you to hear. That's the play God called for the Simfukwes. But adoption is not the play he may call for you. He may call a different play for different ones of us. But he will call us to a play. And one of the things I love about this church is the way that so many of you are already bought into God's heart for the orphan and the variety of ways you're living that out. You're doing something to help the orphan. And it's not cookie cutter. Some of you have felt a passion and the play for you is foster care. There's a number of you God has called and given a passion for the 400,000 kids in the foster care system. And I love that passion, by the way, because if all of us decided we're going to go and take care of kids internationally while we ignore the kids in, on our own home soil, that would be a huge miss. There's a family here who has fostered north of 100 kids. I'm like, just go to heaven already. Like, just, just go. I mean, you're in. Um, some of you, your play has been respite care, where you felt called uh, to get licensed um, so that you can come alongside foster care families to be able to give them reprieve, to be able to give them some relief so that they can have the occasional weekend to go and just catch a breath. That's the play God has called you to. Some of you have been adoptive family supporters. Where, man, there's a family that's adopted and you felt called to provide meals for them, uh, to help babysit maybe their biological kids, to help clean their home, to just help be a supporter, to relieve because it is a hard thing to adopt. And the hardship of adoption doesn't end three weeks later. It lingers for years and years and years at the conference that a number of us were at last week. A woman came to me teary-eyed. You know, she's adopted 12 kids she's adopted. And the last one she adopted was about 10 years ago. And she said, if today someone from my church brought me a meal, I would lose it. Because the difficulty of being an adoptive family carries on for years and years and years. Some of you um, support organizations. Um, organizations that help the orphan, that help kids um, around the world. There's a woman in this church who has launched an organization particularly designed to claim and care for girls who are coming out of sex trafficking. How awesome is that? And for some of you, the play has been and is going to be, I want to come alongside and do everything I can to support her and her organization and a variety of other great organizations in the area. 
um, that some of you have felt called to support. Some of you sponsor kids um, through different organizations as well. I know a couple in our church that considers themselves grandparents to the kids of the kid that they sponsored for years and years and years and years and years. It's so awesome to hear the way they talk about um, that family. Some of you just have felt compelled to hospitality. You've never filled out a piece of paperwork, um, but you've flung open the doors of your home to kids um, who need a safe place to come and experience refuge from the storms of hard homes. There's a lady in our small group, God has broken her heart, and she went to a police officer and said, these kids who are being mistreated in our neighborhoods, that's my house. If you see any of them, please send them to my house. I'm going to open my doors and just provide a place. And the kids actually came. Just longing for a place that's a little more safe. There may or may not be a a lady, single lady, who was singing up here a little bit ago, um, who felt compelled by the Lord, and she's opened up a home, and she's in essence taken in two teenage girls from Zambia to live with her. She's a mom. Uh, That's hospitality to the extreme, but that's the play Lord has called her to. Some of you, it's like, I feel called to focus on my kids right now. Great, but your kids are going to have friends. And those friends, you're going to find out very quickly, are uncared for, unseen, unknown, unwanted by their own family, social orphans. And you may find opportunities to step in and be a safe parent figure for them. For some of you, it's the marginalized. Maybe you're a student and you're just tired of seeing kids bullied at school and you've decided you're going to become a safe place. You're going to become a safe friend. You're going to become somebody who speaks up for kids who are not being well cared for. There are a variety of ways that we can say yes to running the play God is calling us to, to partner with him in caring for the orphan. The important thing is that we all do something. So this morning, here's where we want to start. Because we realize if we're going to do this well, we're going to have to do this together. We're going to have to be in this thing together. Um, And so what we want to do Um, as we long to be a church that cares for the defenseless kids and cares for each other as we care for defenseless kids, we want to pause and do something that will help us uh, be better at this. And we want to take an inventory of orphan care. Um, And here's what we want to do for a few minutes before we wrap and head out. We we want to kind of find out how many of you are already running the play God has given you regarding um, taking care of the orphan. And we want to find out what ways you are already doing that and caring for the unclaimed. Um, We want to find out those of you who are maybe open to figuring out how can I uh, play a part in this. And so let me tell you what we're going to do here really quickly. Um, Graphic is going to go up on the screen. Um, And um, I'm going to have you take a moment right now to text this number. And um, you're going to text this number, and you're going to type in the code on the screen that applies to you. Um, A couple of quick things, by the way. Send one code per text, and that's it. One code per text. Um, Don't try and start, you know, telling us your story and everything in in the, you know, in the text message. Just the code um, per text. And... um, 
Um, we'll ask you to be patient too, because as you text, it's going to send a text back to you, and it's going to give you a link to follow. And when you follow that link, you're just going to punch in a couple of pieces of information. And as you do that, we start to get a database of where our people are caring for orphans. And it starts to give us a sense of where we as a church can come alongside you to support you with resources, to support you with encouragement, to maybe give you opportunities. You say, I want to get involved, but I don't know how. And we as a church can tell you, did you know that there are these 15 opportunities? No, I didn't know. So this is part of what we want to do and part of why we're asking you to do this. So even right now, take your phone out. If you don't have your phone, write the number down so that when you get access to your phone or you get access to your bifocals, you can jump in um, on doing this. And those of you who've already done it, thank you. It's been amazing to see this come through as you've responded to an email that went out on Friday. But this will give us a great place to start in prepping for the final. But just follow the code um, along. I want to say this to you. If you say, I'm, none of this applies to me, but I'm open to helping, um, you guys come on out. Um, I'm open to helping then I would say on your worship card, just note that. Just note that. Give us your name, your info, and just say, open to supporting in the orphan crisis. And we'll just start sending you information about a variety of ways that you might be able to do that. So let's take a couple of moments. I know we're over. We're going to take a few minutes right now. Uh, These guys are going to sing a song while you do that. Please um, respond to this, and then we'll wrap up and pray here in about three minutes. So let's take a moment to do that. Amen. Amen. Listen, um, if you look up here and you say, none of these apply to me, just please note on your card something like, I would love to help a family, or I'd love to support an organization, or I am supporting an organization. But please, um, let us know. We would love to connect with you and give you some next steps. Um, The co-worker who shared a dream that led to our adoption shared another dream a, a number of months later. And in this dream, she said, I saw our children's ministry wing. And it was packed with kids of every color that seemed to be from every conceivable background. When I heard that dream, I knew God was calling Mission Point to be a place that is so brought into his father's heart to take in the orphan, to take in the fatherless. To the point where our kids wing is one in which you cannot distinguish what continent am I on. Because the dream is that Mission Point would be a picture of heaven in which people from every tribe and tongue and language and nation have come together under one new family because Jesus Christ went to great cost to include us in his family. So we can't wait to see what he does in us and through us. So Lord, we commit ourselves to you in Jesus' name. Amen.